Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Stuart Mazell. I am the uh, lead pastor here, and it is great to see all of you here today. Thank you for worshiping with us. Uh, it's great for all of you. Thank you for being uh, online. If you're watching there or you're tuning in on the podcast, we really appreciate the fact that there are people who can't be here, but they do tune in, and we're very thankful for that. Well, we're continuing our series that we've entitled, I Want to Know What Love Is. And so far, we've seen that love is central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We've also seen that love is kind and patient. Today, we're going to take a look at the next part of 1 Corinthians 13 and expound upon that. But first, we're going to read through this entire passage so that we get the full context of what Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to the church in Corinth, who is a, let's just say it this way, a messed up church. they got lots of problems. And he's writing to them to correct some of those things. And the Holy Spirit is also speaking to us today to correct some of the things that we need to be corrected on. So let's listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to this church through this passage. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love... I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let me pray for us. Um, Lord, be at work today in my life and in the lives of all who are here and all who are watching online or listening to a podcast. Father, we need to know your love more. So fill us, Holy Spirit, with that love, but also fill us with a desire to grow in this love, that we would love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves, and we would even grow in loving our enemies in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. So uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is the movie Amadeus. Here's a, if you've not seen the movie, I won't spoil it too much for you, but it's about Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. And it's a, it's a great movie. It's got lots of themes and things in it that uh, I think are applicable in many different ways. If you have not seen the movie, I will say this, that even though it's about Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, he's not really the main character. The main character in the movie is another composer, a composer that you may not have ever heard of, named Antonio Salieri. Salieri starts off his life as a little boy praying this prayer. This is straight from the movie. Lord, make me a great composer. Let me celebrate your glory through music and be celebrated myself. Make me famous through the world, dear God. Make me immortal. After I die, let people speak my name forever with love for what I wrote. In return, I will give you my chastity, my industry, my deepest humility every hour of my life. Amen. Salieri does become a composer. But he is completely overshadowed by Mozart. Completely overshadowed. And the envy between Salieri and Mozart is so strong that he starts to get angry. He says somewhere else in the movie, all I wanted was to sing to God and he gave me that longing and then he made me mute. Why? Tell me that. If he didn't want me to praise him with music, why implant the desire like a lust in my body and then deny me the talent? And then in one of the most poignant scenes, I think, in the movie, he takes the crucifix from his wall, takes it off the wall, and puts it into the fire while saying this, from now on, we are enemies, you and I. Because you chose for your instrument a boastful, lustful, smutty, infantile boy and gave me for reward only the ability to recognize the incarnation. Because you are unjust, unfair, unkind, I will block you. I swear it. I will hinder and harm your creature as far as I am able. That, my friends, is what envy does to a person. It reminds me of a quote that's attributed to uh, Socrates by a man named Strabaeus that envy is the ulcer of the soul. I don't know if you've ever had an ulcer. It's really painful on the inside. It really hurts. <clears throat> envy is the ulcer of the soul. And we see that in Salieri where he started off saying he wanted to serve God but really what was revealed is he wanted to serve himself. And he was angry at God because God gave Mozart the talent and left him as an average composer. Not only did Salieri hate Mozart, 
He hated God. That's what envy does to us. And so when we look at this passage and we see that love does not envy, we've got something that we've got to work with. Because let's face it, all of us envy at some point, but love does not envy. We read that directly from this passage in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy. So the real question I think we have to start with is what is envy? What does it mean to be envious of another person? Now, most of us use the word jealousy and envy as synonymous, as interchangeable terms, but technically they're not the same. Jealousy is when you have something and you're concerned that that thing is going to be taken away from you. For example, if you have a really good-looking neighbor with a great personality, and this good-looking neighbor with a great personality loves to come over to your house and talk to your spouse, and they always seem like they have a great time talking, you're probably going to feel jealousy because you're concerned, you're afraid that your relationship with your spouse may change, that you may lose it because of your good-looking, great-personality neighbor, right? That's jealousy. Envy starts with a desire for something another person has that you don't have. See, jealousy is about something you already have. Envy is about something you don't have. Now, some of you may be saying, well, wait a second, that sounds like coveting to me. To covet is to desire something that you don't have that someone else has. But envy goes one step further than coveting, okay? Coveting is, I see something that you have and I want that thing. Envy goes the step further. It's not just that you desire the thing, you're troubled by the fact that someone else has it. It's not just like, oh, I would like a car like that. It's, I really don't like the fact that my neighbor has that nice car and I don't. That's envy, right? The the philosopher Aristotle defined envy as the pain at the good fortune of others. Um, Thomas Aquinas said it was sorrow for another person's good. Immanuel Kant said that envy is a propensity to view the well-being of others with distress. And all of this comes down to this very simple way of putting it. Someone else has something I want, and I don't like it. That's envy in a nutshell. Someone else has something I want, and I don't like it. We can be envious of another person's possessions, like their car, their house, their toys. We can be envious of their circumstances. Someone else is more successful than me. Someone else is more popular than me. Someone has a better personality than me. Someone has generally good, more good-looking than me. Someone has something good happen to them, and it, I wanted it to happen to me. And what does this have to do with love? Well, in this passage, we see that love does not envy. So let's, let's break this down. Love celebrates when others are blessed. 
okay? To love someone is to want what's best for them. So love celebrates when other people are blessed, while envy is bothered by those blessings. See, that's why envy and love, they really don't mix. They don't go together. Because love will celebrate. You see something good happen to someone else and you say, oh, that's so awesome. I'm so happy for you. That's great. And not with the fake smile, right? No, something genuine, something real. I'm so happy for you. I'm so glad that happened in your life. But envy looks at another person and says, "Mm, I really don't like the fact that that happened to you, that you have this and I don't. Now, the fact that love celebrates when others are blessed and envy is bothered by the blessings of others should alert us to a problem, right? Envy is not just a negative emotion. Uh, Envy is not just an unwanted mental state that I just need to talk myself out of. Envy is sin. Plain and simple. Envy is not the way we were designed to live. We were designed to love God and love our neighbor. And so when we are envious of another person, that is a lack of love for that person. Instead of celebrating for them, we are upset. We're discontent. Maybe we even become like Salieri and we become angry that we don't have what another person has. That is not love. That is the lack of love. And we see that very clearly in Galatians chapter 5 when Paul is writing to the church in in Galatia, and he says, the works of the flesh, that is, the sinful things, are evident. And notice this list. Sexual immorality, check that sin. Yep, got it. Impurity and sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Right there in the middle of it. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. And then he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, the people who inherit the kingdom of God are not people who are characterized by envy. And that should be very sobering to us. Because he goes on to say that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. See, that's where the distinction is. When we are acting out of our flesh, when we're acting out of, of who we are apart from Jesus, apart from the work of the Spirit, we're going to be envious. But when we are led by the Spirit, when we are relying on Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we can grow in real love, and not in envy. Now, here's where I'm I'm going to quote a guy who is not a Christian, uh, Joseph Epstein. And and he wrote this book called Envy. And this is a fairly lengthy quote, but I want you to hear this because I think all of us need to hear this. He says that envy may be the subtlest, perhaps I should say the most insidious of the seven deadly sins. Surely, 
it is the one that people are least likely to want to own up to. For to do so is to admit that one is probably ungenerous, mean, small-hearted. Most of us could still sleep decently if accused of any of the other six deadly sins. But to be accused of envy would be seriously distressing. So clearly does such an accusation go directly to character. The other deadly sins, though all have the disapproval of religion, do not so thoroughly, so deeply demean, diminish, and disqualify a person. Not the least of its stigma is the pettiness implicit in envy. Wow. So here's this guy who is, he's not a Christian, okay? I don't think he's religious. But he understands envy. He understands that it is something that we all deal with, but no one wants to admit it because we look petty when we do. No one says amen to that. But it's true. But not only is envy a lack of love, there's something else. Envy is a lack of trust in God. Now, I know this is a sermon about love and what love should be, but we need to take this very seriously. Envy is not only a lack of love. It's not only where we don't want what's best for another person. It's a lack of trust in God. And and I think that um, Melissa Kruger, in her book, The Envy of Eve, she nails this idea that envy is not only a lack of love, it's a lack of trust in God. Listen to what she says. We want to remove our tendency towards envy, lust, and greed. Yet as soon as one covetous weed is removed, another seems to sprout in a new area of our heart. Have you experienced that? Where you're trying to deal with one issue and another one pops up? Our inability to fight well and conquer this sin, the sin of envy, is related to our attempt to treat only the outer symptoms of what is a much deeper inner problem. Our core problem is not the outward fruit of our sin, but our inner unbelief. Essentially, all coveting, and all sin for that matter, including envy, is rooted in unbelief. Let me try to break this down for us. As Christians, we say we believe that God is God and we are not, right? That God is sovereign over all things. And so if anything good comes into our life, it came from God. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. We also believe that God knows all things. And so he knows us inward and outward. He knows everything about us better than we know ourselves. We also know that God is wise beyond our comprehension. And so if he does something, he has good reason for it. And we also believe that God is good. He is a good father who knows exactly what his children need and knows what they need, when they need it, and how they need it. Are you following me? 
And so when we get to envy, envy is saying, that person has something I want, and I'm upset that they have it, and I don't. Underneath that statement is we're saying, God, I don't trust you with the way you're running things. You gave that person this personality trait that I want. You gave that person success, but I want that. You gave that person this, that, or the other. I wanted that. Do you see, it, it is a lack of trust in our sovereign, knowledgeable, wise, good God. <laughs> I love this quote from uh, Soren Kierkegaard in his book, The Sickness Unto Death, where he says that admiration is happy self-surrender Envy is unhappy self-assertion. Let me break that down for you. To admire someone is to basically surrender that, hey, God gave them something good, and I admire that. But envy is a self-assertion that is unhappy. I'm inserting myself, I'm asserting myself into that situation and I'm saying, this isn't right, this isn't fair. I should have that, not that person, right? That's envy. And that's where, that's why envy and love can't go together because love always celebrates another person's blessing. But envy is what says, ah, I don't like this. And really that boils down to a lack of trust of God. Now why am I talking about the trust of God part? Well, um, another, another uh, non-Christian who I think, who wrote on envy, and he actually understands this very well, even though he would have taken it in a different direction, Bertrand Russell, who was a philosopher in the uh, uh, 20th, early 20th century, The Conquest of Happiness, he writes this, to realize the causes of one's own envious feelings is to take a long step towards curing them. I think he is absolutely right. To understand what's really underneath our envy is a big step forward in being able to start curing it. And recognizing that what's underneath all of our envy is a lack of trust of God allows us to say, okay, I got to deal with that first before I can deal with the envy. I got to deal with the lack of trust in a loving God who has loved me so well and so powerfully in Christ. I got to deal with that first before I can really deal with my envy. And that does leave us, lead us to the solution of what envy is and does in our lives, right? The solution to our envy problem is God's love for us. In Christ. The, the solution to envy is not sitting down and trying to count your blessings. Now, there's a part of it that, that's true, but let me show you why that doesn't work. When I was a kid, uh, my parents tried this with me. I would come home and I would say, I'm, I wouldn't say these words, but basically what I would say is, I'm so envious of my, my friend who... He got, a, he got a 98 on his test, and I only made a 92, all right? Now, there's not a lot of difference there, but, you know, the envy was there. And instead of saying, okay, let's deal with 
your envy, let's deal with your unbelief. <laughs> what my parents would say was, well, think about all the things that you have that he doesn't have. Now, you know what that does? First of all, that stirs up pride. So it's like you're trying to deal with one sin by, by feeding another sin. But second, what if everything about that person's life is better than mine? That just leads to more discontent. I can't find anything that I have that he doesn't have. He's got everything that I've got. So that doesn't work. No, what the solution to our envy problem is the love of God in Christ. Because think about it. John 3, 16, we, we all know this passage. God so loved the world that he, he what? What did he do? He gave. He gave. To envy is saying, I lack something and I want it. To love someone is to give. Right? And God so loved the world that he gave. And what did he give? He gave his only son so that anybody who believes in him, they would have eternal life. And what kind of life do we have in this God who loved so much that he gave his son? We have, we read it in Ephesians 1 today. Listen to these words one more time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, he gave in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I've said this numerous times before and I will continue to say it until the day I die. This passage is such a beautiful passage because it reminds us that there is not one blessing that God the Father has that he has not said, it's yours. Not one blessing. He is not holding anything back from us. If there is something that will bless our lives, he has given it to us. Maybe the reason we don't have certain things is because God knows that we can't handle it. If you're wondering what I mean by that, here's an example. Mm. All right. And this is my own admission of envy. I have some great pastor friends that their ministries seem to be so much more successful than mine. And if I'm honest, sometimes that comes out in, this isn't fair. This isn't right. I'm working hard. I'm praying hard. I'm doing all the right things. Why is it that so-and-so seems to be having such a more successful ministry than me, God? And you know who I sound like? Salieri from the movie. Yeah. It's exactly who I sound like. That's why it's one of my favorite movies, because it reminds me of my own sin, and it points me back to Jesus. Maybe the reason that God has not blessed the ministry that he gave me, the way he's blessed the ministry that my friend has, is because he, my friend, can handle it. And I would get a big head. 
I would lose sight of who Jesus is. And I would think more about myself and what I've done. Maybe God knows me so well that he's like, Stuart, I can't give you that right now because you're not ready for it. See, that's a loving father. That's a caring father. That's a father who knows what I need and knows how to give it to me when I need it. He's going to build his kingdom however he wants, whether it's through me or someone else. And rather than being envious of my pastor friends, I need to go, way to go, so-and-so. I'm so happy that your church is just exploding in growth. I'm so happy that you're seeing people come to faith left and right. I'm so happy to hear that people are not only coming to faith, but they're growing in their faith. I'm so happy because this glorifies God and God is using you. I praise God for it. That's what the attitude of my heart should be. That's a loving response. Right? But when we think, hey, wait a second. God has given me every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. It's all mine. I may not be experiencing them right now, but all of them are for me then why would I be so concerned about what somebody else is getting, what somebody else is doing? I mean, think about it. In Romans 8.32, Paul writes that he, our Father, who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Think about that. God has promised that He will give us all things in Christ. All things. So I'm not missing anything. I'm just waiting for the inheritance. I'm waiting for what it is that God has for me in the age to come. I may not experience it now, but there will be a day when it all is mine. Not because of who I am, but because of who God is as a giver. Do you hear that? And even now, there is a sense in which it belongs to us now. Remember, God has given us every spiritual blessing in Jesus, in the one who died for us and rose from the dead for us. And in 1 Corinthians 3, 21-23, I love this. He says, Let no one boast in men, for, listen, this is God's word, to His church, all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. What he's saying is, look, you shouldn't be envious about other people because everybody who is a part of the the body of Christ, they are part of the body and we belong together. We're all one in Jesus. We're all connected. We all belong to one another. I am not my own separate entity. You are not your own separate entity. We are connected. We are together. And because we're together, what happens to one affects the whole. And so if something good happens to one of you, that's something we should all celebrate because we're together. We're one. We're united. Now, the flip side is when something bad happens to one, it affects us as well. That's why the Scriptures tell us to to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep, right? Because we're all one. And everything in all creation belongs to 
us in Christ. Romans 8, 38 through 39 tells us that this kind of love, this giving love, this love that just lavishes, <coughs> excuse me, that lavishes us and overwhelms us. This love will never end. He says in Romans 8, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can take the love of God, the giving, overwhelming love of God, nothing can take it from you. That is such good news. The fact that Jesus gave his life for us. The fact that God the Father was willing to give and give and give. That's love, not envy. Envy wants it all for ourselves. Love says, I'm willing to give. And that's the kind of love God has given to us. And it's the kind of love he wants us to show to one another. All right, so for your action points, if you're wondering, well, what do I do with all this? This is information, yes, but what do I do with this? Well, first of all, your first action point, we've got three today. The first one is this, admit. <laughs> admit envy is a part of your life. Envy likes to hide. Envy likes to hide in the shadows. In order to get over it, you're going to have to admit it. The first step in uh, solving a problem is to admit there is a problem, right? And so we've got to admit that we're envious. Envy is like every sin, it grows best in the dark. And so when we, we've got to expose it to the light, we've got to bring it out, and we need to admit it. Now, I'm not saying you need to go out and say to everybody, hey, I'm envious, hey, I'm envious, hey, I'm envious of you, I'm envious of you too, hey, I'm envious of all of you. We don't have to do that, but we do need to admit envy is a part of our lives. Look, I just admitted to all of you that I'm envious of my pastor friends. I think you can at least admit your envy to God. At least that. Second, not only do we need to admit envy as a part of our lives, we need to confess our envy as sin. Uh, again, it is not just a mental issue. It is not just an emotional issue. It is not just something that we say, oh, well, you know, I'll eventually grow out of it. It's sin. Let's call it for what it is. God hates sin. God hates envy. God does not want us to be envious. Okay? God wants us to love and so let's confess it as what it is. It's sin. And that leads us to the third thing. We admit, we confess, and then we take our envy to Jesus. Take your envy to Jesus. Jesus, I admit that envy is in my life. I confess that envy is sin but I know that you died and rose from the dead to conquer envy. So conquer it in my life 
and replace it with your love. Teach me what it means to love the way that you've loved me. Take your envy to Jesus. Just bring it up to Him and realize and experience what it's like to know that your envy is nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. That is what we need to do with envy. Admit it, confess it as sin, take it to Jesus. I'll end with this. Um, In all seriousness, would you please pray for me about the envy issue? Um, If you had asked me years ago, what's one sin that you don't think you deal with? I would have said envy. Because I was so blind to it. And when it started to become clear to me, and I I say this um, knowing that there might be people in the room who have negative attitudes towards um, the Enneagram, so if you do have those, I'm not trying to push it on anybody, I'm not trying to say anything about it, I just want you to know that I was reading something about the Enneagram, and supposedly I'm a four on the Enneagram, which has, your personality is, is pointed out by numbers, and four, it, this book said that four's main sin was envy. And I looked at that and I was like, that's not true. I'm not an envious person. I know envy pe- envious people and I'm not one of them. And then the Holy Spirit has been working on me for a while now, showing me, see that? That's envy. See that? That's envy. See how you're acting towards that person? That's envy. And I'm like, okay, 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 I got it, I got it. I'm an envious person. Don't show me anymore right now. We all need the loving response of Jesus to deal with our envy. But really the first step is admit it, confess it as sin, and then run to Jesus with it. So, by the power of the Spirit, congregation, let's grow in love that does not envy. Let me pray for us that we will do that. Holy Spirit, you say that your fruit, the very first part of your fruit is love. And we want to grow in love. So, by the power and in the name of Jesus, would you conquer envy in our lives? that we would admit that we're envious, that we would confess it as sin, and we would run to you, Jesus, with that envy, knowing that you nail it to the cross and you bury it in the grave and you rise from the grave victorious over that sin. And so we too can see victory and growth as we grow in love and we die to envy. And let that be true in all of our relationships, not just between us in this room, but the way we treat people outside of this room. That envy would not be a characteristic of our life, but love would be. For your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray this. Amen.